0: Amen, it's all about him and I want to put the spotlight on him today I want to magnify him with you guys as we talk about uh, living worthy of the gospel um, We're gonna look at Philippians chapter 1 and there are parts of the Bible that many of us tend to gravitate towards and spend more time in than others And this is one of those passages for me One of the passages that God has just used to encourage and inspire and and Change me and work inside me through. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what it means to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me give a little backdrop here first, because in Acts chapter 16, we have the story of the Apostle Paul traveling, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And he goes to this place called Philippi. And he finds a woman there named Lydia, who was a God fearer a worshiper of God. Uh, and and he went to share the gospel with her. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to heed, to hear the things from Paul. And Paul shared the good news with her and she responded. Uh, then we have, you know, Paul's encounter with this slave girl who had a demon and and Paul cast out the demon in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden the slave girls no longer a prophet to her owners, her slave owners. So they get upset about that. Paul's ministry, by the way, affected the economy in Philippi, at least at that level. All right. And so they get upset about it and they have Paul beaten and thrown in jail. How's that sound for fun ministry? Huh? How would you like to be a missionary that, that that's what happens Free. OK, we'll talk a little bit about that later. So Paul gets beaten and thrown in jail. I love it. Paul and Silas are in jail, chained up, stripes on their back, and they're praying, thanking God, singing hymns to God. And God shows up and he causes an earthquake to happen and everybody gets free. All the prisoners get free. The Philippian jailer is about to kill himself. And Paul says, stop. We're all here. And Paul goes on and he shares the gospel with him and, and, and he responds and, and him and his household believe the gospel and are saved. This is the Philippian church. We have some, some context, we have some background here. So when you read Philippians, when you can know that Paul knew people specifically. There were specific individuals that he calls out, that he knows personally And we have this beautiful letter written to them. And Paul starts off his exhortation after offering a prayer, after saying what's happening to him, describing his chains. Paul is in Rome at this time. Okay, so he's in jail again, there he goes again, he's in trouble again because he's preaching the gospel. So this time he's in Rome and he's writing a letter from Rome and, and he's in prison. Okay, this is Philippians is one of the, the letters, Flip, the book of Philippians is one of the prison epistles uh, that we have in scripture. And so I just want to give that backdrop so we get a little uh, idea of what's going on here uh, when Paul writes this, this uh, exhortation to the Philippians. So let's go ahead and look at it. And actually, if you all would stand with me as we read the Word of God in respect of the holy, inspired, infallible Word of God. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all for reading with me. Sometimes I mess up in my reading, so it's helpful to read along with other people to cover up those weaknesses. Here's the big idea. The big idea is this. That a life lived in a manner worthy of the gospel is marked by consistency, cooperation with other Christians, and courage in the face of adversity. That's the big idea. That's where we're going today. And before we go there though, let me let me continue to focus on a few phrases and words within this first part of uh, verse 27. First of all, the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to assume that today everybody here knows what that is. I mean, if, if, if I asked for a show of hand, what is the gospel? If I were to ask you to sum up the gospel for me in, in, in a couple sentences, can you do that? Do you know what that is? Uh, it's not a genre, merely a genre of music. Um, it's it's the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the, the good news that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of God was sent from heaven to earth and he lived a perfect sinless life, healing those who were oppressed of, a, of the devil, setting captives free, doing good and displaying God to humanity. And Jesus went to the cross as appointed, as it was appointed by the Father. And He died on the cross. He suffered and He died on the cross. And He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day. And He is alive now forevermore. And He offers eternal life to anyone who will believe in Him and will receive Him. They will live forever with Him. They will be resurrected with Him. They will have new life. No more disease. No more decay no more dandruff we're going to get new bodies it's going to be awesome he's going to make all things new y'all looking forward to that jesus is coming soon that's part of the good news he came and he's coming back he's going to make things right he's going to make things new do you know this gospel do you know what it means To believe in this gospel. Because it starts here. If we're going to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, we need to know what it is. If we're going to behave in a way that adorns the gospel and puts the spotlight on the worth of Jesus and the good news, we need to first receive that and be impacted by that and know what that is. So I want to go there first. I want to emphasize this good news because it's this gospel that changed my life. Over 17 years ago, and I came as a broken, guilty, sinful young man in need of a Savior. And by the grace of God, He raised me from the dead. I was spiritually dead. And He made me alive. He made me a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. All of a sudden, I got hope and purpose and life and joy and peace and love replacing hatred. Joy replacing sorrow peace replacing torment i've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of god that's the gospel impact on my life have you experienced something like that are you believers i know we have believers in here i know many of you love jesus and i've seen evidence that you've been transformed and you've been brought into the kingdom of god But I'm sure there are some people here today who may not have experienced that yet. And so I just want to encourage you to believe the gospel, to know Jesus Christ and put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation, to repent and believe that message, because everything else that I'm going to say about behaving like a good godly Christian isn't going to make much sense to you and isn't going to have a a foundation if you don't know Jesus yet you got to know Him first. We don't work to try to be right with Him or, and earn His favor. It's, it's, it's what He's done for us. The good news is that, that He came to save us undeserving sinners. We didn't, we didn't earn it. We didn't live worthy of the gospel. And yet He met us and He gave His life for us while we were yet sinners. Okay, so I just want to wanna establish that foundation. I pray that that be established and foundational for every person in this room. That you don't think Christianity is about just doing a bunch of stuff. Yes, God calls us to work hard with him and for him and him working in and through us. But it's all built on what Christ has done. First Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul, after uh, defending the gospel, he has this mighty therefore. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so it's that, that therefore is based on what Christ has already done. And so we build upon that foundation of Jesus being that. Amen. So the gospel live in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel. I want us to feel the weight of this exhortation here because it is there's, it's a heavy it's a heavy exhortation. It's not like it's not a, something to be taken lightly by the Philippian church or by us today. It's like the weight that you feel when you hear Jesus say, here's what matters most to God the Father. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I don't know anybody that's doing that flawlessly. That's a weighty command. And this 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 exhortation here to live in a manner worthy of the gospel in a way that we really show forth with our lives that Jesus is worth it, that the gospel is worth it. This is weighty. This is costly. And this is real Christianity. Amen. Amen. So live in a manner worthy of the gospel as a worship leader worthy is a is a word that i've used a lot in many songs that i love like worthy is the lamb seated on the throne or worthy worthy And it communicates the idea of worth, that, 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 that when we sing worthy and we see that in Scripture, worthy are you to receive honor and glory and, and praise and so on. It communicates that God's worth it. He's worth our lives. He's worth it all. And in the end, we're going to see that he's worth it. We're going to truly see that when we see him face to face, he's worth it. Several years ago, I was driving home from a hard day of work at Weir's Furniture and I was dirty and tired and I was hungry and I just wanted to go home and relax in the air condition. It was a summer evening, I believe, and I saw some young people up playing football as I'm driving home and I felt a nudge to stop and go talk to them about Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And I resisted that nudge and I kept on driving and I'm like, no, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I want to get comfortable and relax and eat and so on. And as I'm resisting that nudge, I, I drive past the street, Worth Street, not, not far from here. And, um, and it's like God was saying to me, am I worth it? Is the gospel worth it? And of course, I just turn around, right? I don't keep on driving. Thankfully, I didn't. Um, I wouldn't be sharing the story if I, if, I, if I kept driving. <laughs> I wouldn't be telling you all that. Maybe, maybe I would. If I'm more like Pastor Brad, I would share those weaknesses and stuff, but... Um, Trying to be as humble as Pastor Brad. But anyways, I I obeyed by the grace of God. And I would love to tell you that these young young people came to Jesus and, you know, got on fire for God. Uh, That that wasn't the rest of the story, but it was it was just a simple act of obedience in the mundaneness of life that God was calling me to live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is worth my energy. It's worth my possessions. It's worth my attention and and my prayers being directed that the Gospel would go forward throughout this city and change lives. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And Paul's saying, live like He's worth it. And Paul's not just, this isn't just mere words for Paul. This isn't just empty talk for Paul because this is coming from a life that was displaying that Jesus is worth it. Let's just look back to Philippians chapter 1 starting in 18. I got it on the screen here. Let's just look back at this and see here because Paul shows with his life that Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth living for. He says, yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, not be ashamed at all. But that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We sang that this morning. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. God, I breathe your name above everything. Let it be, let it be, Jesus. This is where that song came from. That song is based off of this text right here. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Here's an example of a life that was being lived out in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether by life or death. He says in another place, Acts 20, verse 24, he says, I don't count my own life as dear to myself. But he was seeking to testify to the gospel of grace, to run the race, to finish testifying of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ He says yet what yet which uh, for if I live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which I shall choose I cannot tell I'm hard pressed between the two my de- my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better You think it's far better to depart and be with Jesus death be with Jesus and but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convince of this, that I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul was motivated by the glory of Jesus Christ, and he was motivated by the good of others, doing good to people and bringing glory to Jesus Christ, whether by life or by death. That's what he was living for. That's what it looks like to live a life manner worthy of the gospel. So we have his example here. Paul, later on in chapter two, he points us to Jesus's example. Okay, I think he was living in a way that he could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but. Jesus is the ultimate example, as we see where, you know, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus being in in the form of God, he didn't cling to his rights as God. He emptied himself and he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. And so Jesus is our ultimate example. Paul's calling us to live worthy and a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, notice this here in um, this phrase, only let your manner of life is actually one Greek word. Um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it to display my unscholarliness. Um, but you hear the word politics, poly city and state. And the, the NLT, the New Living Translation, I think does a good job here because it kind of brings out that concept of, of what's what's there above all you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ Paul later on picks up that theme in, in chapter 3 and he says but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a savior the Lord Jesus Christ and so in other words Paul was reminding the Philippian church that they were citizens of heaven. Now, Philippi, the the, the the inhabitants of Philippi were already Roman citizens. Okay, they had a Roman citizenship. But he was reminding them that they had another citizenship that was more important than that of being of Rome. How many how many American citizens do we have here today? You got a citizenship in America, okay? How many heavenly citizens do we have here today? All right, you know that you got your citizenship with Jesus. You've trusted in Jesus and you got your citizenship. You belong to Jesus in heaven and you will be there forever. That's good news. And Paul was affirming, encouraging the church that that they have that, that they are to behave in a way that they belong to another kingdom That they're citizens of another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that will never fail, never, that will stand forever. Live like that. He was reminding them that their allegiance is to be to Christ more than it was to Caesar. That, and they were to live like that. Not to try to earn their citizenship, behave like a citizen so that they could earn their way to citizenship. Christ has already purchased it and provided it, and they received it by faith. Their citizenship. So let's go on here. Verse 27, second part of 27. Um, here's, here's just a couple marks of what it looks like to live worthy of the gospel. The first one is consistency. Consistency is a mark of living worthy of the gospel of Christ. Notice how it says standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Behave in a manner worthy of the gospel. Standing firm. Be grounded and firm on the truth of Jesus Christ. And standing firm together. And I love, I love that we as Christians, we don't stand in our own strength, on our own understanding, with our own resources. We stand in the grace of God. We stand upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, our rock, our redeemer, our savior. And, we, and that's what unites us as a church across all our differences, is that we have that common foundation that we're standing on. And, you know, we're, we're here. He's exhorting them to stand together. You know, there's that phrase, united we stand and divided we fall. The enemy loves to divide the people of God and and, and divide and conquer and, and and tries to do that. He tries to get us against one another. And so we're to stand. We stand because Christ gives us strength to stand we stand on his righteousness but then we stand with one another we stand in the faith with one another we come together and we sing songs like this i believe in god the father i believe in christ the son I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three and one. So we come together and we sing those songs together and our faith is affirmed and strengthened and we hear the voices of others who love Jesus and believe in Jesus and our hearts are stirred and we stand firm together on the gospel truth. That shows that the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth it. When we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and, and, and worldly lures. That we're standing firm together. That we're not thrown off balance. That we're not knocked down because of adversity and people coming against the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, believe me, it's not going to get any easier. Just look around. Things are getting more difficult for Christians all over the world. Christians are uh, losing their lives. And I just lost my control of my PowerPoint here. (laughs) Suffering for Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Um, our consistency as Christians is based on the fact that God's consistent. We sang this this morning. Yes, we are standing on the promises of Jesus. And it starts off, the, the, the verse start off saying, faithful is our God, faithful is our God, faithful is our God. We We can be consistent and steady and stable and steadfast and immovable because that's how our God is. And we reflect that we're his children when we live like that. He's our foundation. For standing strong. Paul in, in, in first Corinthians fifteen fifty eight he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And here's the key. Here's the key to doing that. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, that there's going to be rewards, God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Uh, There's going to be a resurrection, a hereafter. We're going to be able to enjoy those rewards for all eternity. We're going to be able to enjoy Jesus for all eternity. So consistency, being steadfast and stable and firm in the faith, that that just puts the spotlight on Jesus. And inconsistencies in the lives of Christians are often the greatest hindrances for for non-believers coming to the faith, faith. At least they say so. I don't know that that's completely true, but I've heard that so often that the church is full of hypocrites and that's why I won't go to church and and this and that. I think there's more to it than just that, but I think that our conduct as Christians can hinder or help people come to the faith. The way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves can can adorn the gospel and help make it seem beautiful as it is to those who don't know Jesus. That's what our conduct should do. The Apostle Paul had that example. So the next thing is cooperation. If we can, if I can get help going to the next line there. Cooperation. So partnership in the gospel, um, working together, unity. Unity. The unity of the church is a mark of a life that's living worthy of the gospel. When we're cooperating with other Christians, got a picture of brother Adam Wosfield there and David Recordray. We were out at the dart station several years ago. You know, sometimes on evangelism there's just these beautiful snapshots of the church being the church and I'm just like, Ch-ch-ch. I just want to get those. You know, like, this is beautiful. They're doing it. They're striving together for the faith of the gospel side by side. They're not striving with one another. They're together for the gospel, reaching people who need Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It delights the heart of God when we do that. I know as a father, it delights the heart of dad when my children do that. Oh, how good and pleasant it is. When the dollar kids dwell together in unity, it's like a warm cup of nice hot coffee with a little cream and sugar. It's refreshing and pleasing to my, to me. Um, But if I, if if dad comes home, daddy Keith comes home and uh, the kids are bickering and fighting and not sharing and saying, mine, mine, he hit me, she hit me, this and that. it's displeasing it's like i love my children and it's so pleasing when they work together when they play together and and we're we're very blessed kendall and i that our kids most of the time do play very well together and it's it's a beautiful thing but just as a dad i i just got a little taste of you know a, a little perspective of how god feels about his children when they work together like that's a big deal That's a big deal that the church be united and work as one side by side together for the faith of the gospel. It's such a big deal that it was on Jesus's heart right before he went to the cross in John 17. We have this beautiful prayer. We got God, the son talking to God, the father, and we get this intimate snapshot of glory. And one of the things that he's really concerned about and prays for is that the church be one. As him and the father one. And I think that prayer is going to be answered. In some ways has been answered. Actually, I think, I think what we see here today, when you look across this room, I think that's a part of an answer to that prayer. We have people here that are different than one another. We got white, black, Asian, Hispanic. What else we got? Indian. Uh, what else? Help me out. Texan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful picture of what the Gospel does. The Gospel tears down barriers, barriers, it tears down walls, and it unites the people who are different, who have different uh, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, denominational backgrounds, and we 're all united around the person of Jesus Christ. We love Jesus. We believe the gospel. We want the gospel to go forth and change lives. And everybody's welcome to come in here and hear the gospel. And we're going to go out there and bring it to them. We want them to know the gospel and believe and have this treasure that we have in Jesus. And that's what unites us. Not everybody here agrees on everything here. I mean, we got some differences. we got different experiences and different backgrounds But you know what unites us is that we don't major on the minors here. We let the gospel be the main thing here at City Church International. Therefore, we can be international. We can be interdenominational. Because the gospel unites us. We're united around that. We're passionate about that. I love the the, the quote that unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, in all things charity... That's a philosophy of ministry that we use here at City Church. We're united on the main thing. And there's some liberty with the secondary issues to have different views. But in all things, we're committed to loving one another. No matter how different we are. We're committed to walking with one another side by side. What a beautiful picture. Heaven's going to be like that, by the way. Revelation 5 gives us a little snapshot of heaven. And every tribe and every tongue is around a throne singing, Worthy are you, Lord! You've redeemed us out of every tribe and every tongue. Worthy are you, God! We reflect the kingdom of heaven when we unite across our diversity. And we love one another. It's a snapshot of heaven. Amen? So let's work together. Let's work hard together like an athlete works out striving together for the faith of the gospel not striving with one another if you're here and you're striving with another christian another brother or sister who loves jesus then you may need to heed paul's instruction here in uh, philippians chapter 2 and even chapter 4 where he calls out two specific women in the philippian church That had a conflict and a disagreement. Now, I want to call some folks out. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But he called them out. He said, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, hey, you guys agree. Like, work it out. (laughs) And the gospel should do that. The gospel frees us up to love people that see things different. It helps us to work together and focus on what matters most and you know when you're in a battle like a lot of the petty differences seem to be minimized you know like soldiers I mean I mean those guys are fighting for their lives those who are in war right now I mean they're not worried about the, I mean some of them may but you know generally speaking when you got bombs going off and bullets flying and stuff I mean you're working together right And we're in a a spiritual battle, and things are going to get more difficult. And and, and I think that we need to have this mindset that we're going to work together, stand together, love one another, and be faithful witnesses of Jesus. Amen? So here's a couple keys. So so one is, if we're going to work together, we need to make the gospel the main thing. Major on the majors, right? And we need to think like Jesus, Philippians 2. Paul continues this train of thought of what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, look at Jesus Christ. Think like Jesus Christ. If There's any blessings of being a Christian, sympathy and compassion and love and fulfill my joy by being like minded and and do nothing out of selfish ambition. Have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like Jesus. Humility, as Pastor Brad's been preaching on the past couple of weeks, promotes unity. It, it, it contributes to the unity of the, of the church. Amen. Amen? So the last thing is, uh, is courage. Courage in adversity marks the conduct of a life lived worthy of the gospel. So notice uh, verse 29. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that they're of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that I saw, that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Paul himself was was courageous in the face of adversity. He was calling the Philippians to be the same to not be frightened, to not be intimidated, to not back down. And, you know, we can minimize, sometimes we can minimize our suffering for Jesus by just backing off. Don't talk about him. You won't get your head cut off. Don't preach about Jesus and you won't lose your job. Don't talk about Jesus and and we won't tax you these unreasonable taxes and so on. We can minimize our suffering by becoming secret disciples right and and retreating but paul here describes suffering for jesus as a gift it's a gift that not too many christians want right i'll take that i'll take some suffering for jesus i mean we don't not many people are that's not in your prayers i'm sure you did not pray this morning god let me suffer for you today let me get my back beaten for you today But it's a perspective I think that we need to take on that like the apostles when they were they were beaten in in, in the beginning of Acts Acts five, they were beaten because of preaching the gospel. They went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel's sake, for, for Christ's sake. Paul describes suffering for Jesus as a gift. It's granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer. For his name's sake. I think this will help us be courageous in the face of adversity. When we see that, when we have this perspective, like Jesus did when he said in in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for my sake, for righteousness sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Blessed are you when men speak evil of you falsely and and, and do things to harm you because you're following Jesus. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company if you get persecuted for following Jesus. So that should help us. Help us to know that as a child of God, everything in our lives is Father-filtered. God permits it to happen and he works through it for our good and for his glory. Another thing is that when, when we are courageous in the face of persecution and suffering, Paul says, it's a sign. It's a signpost to our enemies, the enemies of Jesus Christ, enemies of the gospel. It's a signpost to them that they're going to be destroyed. That they have everlasting destruction ahead of them because they hate the only one who can save them. And they reject the only one who can save them. Paul was once in that boat and he had some signs in his face like Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned, he, Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus and his face shone like an angel. Paul saw them. He was there. He saw that signpost right in his face, that he's on the wrong path, on the path to destruction. He was a terrorist, thinking he was serving God, killing Christians. And God saved the Apostle Paul, saved Saul, and he became a Christian. That should encourage us to pray for terrorists, pray for those who are blinded, pray for those who are misguided, that God would save them and turn around and use them to advance the gospel. So... Another thing is that it's a sign for you and I that of salvation. When we're persecuted because we're following Jesus, it's a sign to us that we're saved. We belong to God. And that's why people hate us and are coming against us. If they hated you, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. I mean, expect that. And stand. Just trusting that God's going to work that out for our good stand trusting him standing on his word God had granted the Philippian church it appears that he granted them to suffer for his namesake I remember um, several years ago I was uh, down at Deep Elm talking to some folks about Jesus and there was a a big very intimidating guy who heard us and he got very mad and started cussing and and I think this guy had some demons, like there was some crazy stuff going on there and I had a couple buddies with me and as this guy was coming towards me, my buddies, they disappeared, I don't know where they went. Uh, and I was standing there, I was standing there and, and I just stood there and I gently responded to him and and I wasn't intimidated by him. Because I know that this guy needs Jesus and he's going to stand before God. And I know I belong to Jesus. He's God is for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? I'm going to stand here and I'm I'm out here to tell people about the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Church, when we do that, when we walk in a way that's courageous, because we know who we are, we know whose we are, we know where we're going and we know the people who oppose us need Jesus. It it. It's a, it brings glory to Jesus. It, it's a living in a manner worthy of the gospel, and so we're going to respond here, Josh. If you would come up, we're going to respond in a song and worship, worship team. Um, and so there's two two things here, two two groups of people that that I think I'm talking to here today. One is we got a lot of people who love Jesus here at City Church, and I know many of you personally, and I know you love Jesus and. You have fruit that you are walking with Jesus. Um, But to you, I I, want to encourage you to examine, are you living worthy of the gospel? And if you're not, you just simply need to be reminded of who you are and what Christ has done for you. And let that influence and motivate the way that you live and the way that you speak. By the way, by the way, this is important. You not only need to live a life that adorns the gospel and that lives worthy of... If you're going to strive for the faith of the gospel, you need to also speak that message. I've never seen anybody get saved because somebody was just a good good guy. A good Christian he buys their groceries and all of a sudden the, the person who's a non-Christian... Knows that Jesus is Lord and that he died for his sins and rose again. And he's all of a sudden, boom, he's saved. And he didn't hear the gospel. <laughs> our, our works and help adorn the gospel and help make it beautiful, but we need the words. We need to speak the words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. People need to hear that message. And believe me, your lifestyle isn't better than Jesus's. You're, what you do isn't better than what Jesus did when he went to the cross for you and never sinned. So don't think that your works and good deeds and godly living is enough to save somebody. They need Jesus. And perhaps there's somebody here who is not a citizen of heaven yet. And you haven't repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior. We want to pray for you. We want to talk to you if you're interested. We want to tell you about Jesus and tell you how you can walk with him and start that journey. If you haven't started that journey. If you haven't gotten gotten your citizenship to heaven yet, we want to help you get your citizenship. Make sure you know who you are and where you're going. And so we'd like to pray with you. If you church, if you'd stand with me, we're going to sing. We're going to respond if you want prayer. If you're a Christian and you're convicted that your life hasn't been... Pointing to Jesus, your your conduct, your your words, then let's let's turn to him. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, now's a great time great time to become one. May the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you, and may he be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace.